Well, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us this morning for worship. We're so glad that you chose to be here uh, by way of video. So thank you for coming. We want to welcome you. Uh, we do want to continue to challenge you through this month. We have our Annie Armstrong Easter offering for missions, and we're right at 39,000. Our goal is 43,000, and we'll leave that open through the end of this month. So we want to encourage you to uh, try to dig just a little deep, deeper and see if we can overcome that goal uh, of 43000 But thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. We are so appreciative, uh, appreciative of all of you uh, in giving towards this goal and also our regular budget. Thank you so much for doing that each and every week. We do want to reach out to uh, two families in our church, uh, Dolores Haney in the loss of her husband. Uh, please, church family, remember to pray for her. Uh, during this time and her family family and also the leach family uh, carter leach uh, this week um, her uh, his wife barbara uh, went home to be with the lord and so we want to remember that family too we will miss barbara and carter we grieve with you too brother and please know that we're remembering you in prayer uh, and we ask our church family to please remember these folks uh, during this time Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and I'll ask you there in your living room where you're uh, joining with us to take just a moment, maybe even with your family, uh, dads that are there, um, to maybe even pray out loud with your family for the next few moments, and then I'll open our time up together uh, out loud. Let's pray together. God, we do thank you for giving us another day to meet together by way of uh, video and online. God, we thank you that we have the technology to be able to do this. And so, God, we pray for our service today. We know that you have given Jonathan songs and the uh, band has prepared today to uh, come to you and worship you through music. And that you've also given our pastor a message that he has studied and prepared and God, that you would use him and the words that he says today to challenge us. God, that we'll be better and more like Jesus for having heard this message. God, that we would be willing to open our hearts and make adjustments where they uh, may need to be, God. Just challenge us today through your word and use our pastor to say what it is you want to say to us today. God, we do pray for this situation uh, in our country right now and really around the world. Uh, with coronavirus, God, we pray that you give all of our leaders, from the president down to our local leaders, God, that you'd give them wisdom uh, to know what to do. We know that we're hearing about uh, phases that we'll um, go through to get back to meeting together again. And God, we pray those that would happen. We would continue to see the numbers of these cases uh, continue to drop. Uh, that we would continue to see that, God. We thank you that there, that is already happening. Just be with us today in a very special way, God. Use this time to honor and glorify your name. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kevin Knight's coming for some scripture reading. Good morning, church. So encouraging to know um, that the tie that binds us together is the Lord Jesus Christ. And his word he uses in us to strengthen us and encourage us. As we collectively, even though we're apart, seek him together. So let's listen prayerfully to these words that are written in the book of Revelation, starting in chapter 21 
and then we'll read uh, some verses also from chapter 22. But starting in verse 1 of chapter 21, the scripture says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the, te the, te the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then skipping over to 22, verse 22 of chapter 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no more night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Those are great and precious promises, church, for our future. We have a hope. 
His mercy is more than anything we could imagine. Let's sing about that. Would you sing with me? Yeah. 
Thank you, Jonathan, and the musicians. We are so blessed here at Pitts Baptist with the musicians that we have that uh, lead us in worship each Sunday. Uh, I hope if you get a chance, you'll drop them a note or give them a call and just speak a kind word to them, uh, the way they use their gifts and talents to serve us here, the body of Christ at Pitts Baptist. Uh, I want to ask you to take a Bible out this morning. I'll be reading from the NIV and find Romans chapter 8. Uh, you know, some people have called Romans chapter 8 probably the greatest chapter in the Bible. I hesitate to use that description because we know all chapters in the Bible are great. One part of the Bible is just as inspired as another part of the Bible. Uh, but some chapters just speak to us in an unusually powerful way. And I think uh, Romans chapter 8 certainly does that. I want to talk to you this morning about a steadfast hope for the Christian. A steadfast hope for the Christian. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. And I'm going to read down through verse 30. I want to ask you right there in the privacy of your home if you would stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 8, 18 through 30. Paul writes there, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning 
as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Father, we pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, this is your word, your love letter to your people. And I pray that you would challenge and convict and comfort our hearts through it. May your Holy Spirit use this time to speak to hearts and minds. Lord, you know the one that I'm speaking to this morning who needs to come to Christ. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw that one to faith in Jesus today. For Christians who might be discouraged or weak, Lord, remind them of the hope that they have in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, Lord, open our ears, open our hearts and minds to your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's still hard to imagine everything that we are witnessing that is going on in this country and in the world. It's, it's like something you would read out of a science fiction book. It's just so surreal. Some families have gone through a tremendous amount. Some have lost jobs. Some have lost even more. They have perhaps lost a family member. You know, this morning we could concentrate on all of that, but that's not what I want to do. This morning I want to concentrate on the hope that believers have in Christ. A steadfast hope, a hope that never diminishes, never fades, never ends, that God has given to his children. Whatever happens to the believer, we know that we have this hope. Nothing can take that hope away because it is grounded in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one day he's coming for his saints. And what a glorious day that's going to be. We have a Savior who today is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's our advocate and he, along with the Holy Spirit, is making intercession for us, and he's preparing a place for us. Now, until then, we know that he is very much with us. He has not abandoned us. He has not left us alone. He has not left us as orphans. 
That's the steadfast hope that we have. The first thing I want you to write down with me this morning, if you're taking notes, and I certainly hope, as I've been saying each week, that you will have a notepad and take some notes. The first thing I want you to write down from verses 18 to 25 is that we have a future hope to anticipate. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul is saying, I've thought about this business of suffering. I've considered it. Considered is the translation of a word that means to reckon. It's a mathematical term where you give analysis and assessment to something. You sort of add everything up. Paul is saying, I've I've done that with suffering. I've given some serious analysis to it. Not only had he just given analysis to it, Paul had experienced it. In fact, he had experienced it on a level that few of us could say that we have. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 about that. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 to 28, he says, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all of the churches. So you see, Paul had experienced suffering. He's given analysis to it, but he's given analysis as one who has walked through that valley with us. The fact of the matter is that we suffer now. Whether it's trials or heartaches or death or illness or tragedy or divorce or job loss, now we could add new things like viruses and plagues. And, of course, we live in a world where, where we have experienced terrorism in our recent history. All of these things add to the suffering that you and I experience. 1 Peter chapter 1 talks about this. Beginning in verse 6, Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice. He's talking there about our salvation. He says, Even though now for a while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God tries our faith. Sometimes our trials are from God directly. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes God has allowed our trials to come through some other avenue. We also know that we live in a fallen world. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, 
As Paul points out here in Romans chapter 8, the whole creation was subjected to futility. God created a a universe that was good, it was pristine and uh, perfect after each day of his creation. The Bible says God saw what he had made and pronounced it as being good. But you know, all that changed in Genesis chapter 3, didn't it? When sin entered the picture. And when sin entered into the created order, it didn't just simply affect the man and the woman. It affected everything. All of the categories of creation were involved in the act of sin. I want you to think of that. There was the forbidden fruit. And so there was the world of vegetation. There was the serpent, the animal kingdom. And then there was the man and the woman. And so all categories of creation were involved in the fall. And because of that, God pronounced a curse on all categories of creation. He cursed the serpent, he cursed the ground, and he cursed the man and the woman. So we see that sin is like a dark cloud hanging over the universe. Just like the world is inundated right now with this virus, COVID-19, The world is inundated with a worse kind of virus, a spiritual one. It's called sin. And in a universe like this in which you and I live, there is suffering, there's trials, there's hardship. There's many reasons we suffer, and I'm not going to go through those right now. We, We did that last fall in a sermon series on why evil. But just suffice it to say, there's many reasons why believers suffer. The Bible says that we, we do suffer as Christians. In fact, it says if you're really a believer and you live out your faith and take a stand for the word of God, the Bible says you're even going to suffer for that reason. You're going to be persecuted because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, thinking about suffering and hardship, if we dwelt on it, too long. It could really bum us out. It could really depress us because nobody likes to go through hard times. Paul is saying he's given careful thought to all of this. And as believers, we need to understand something. In our faith and our walk with the Lord, we need to understand that God will one day reveal his glory to us. And we will be part of the new heavens and and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see, there's a future glory. We will be with him. John in 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 says that we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. As he has a glorified body, so you and I will have a glorified body. And we will see God's glory. We will see all of the glories of heaven. Uh, Kevin Knight read a moment ago uh, from Revelation 21 and 22 about heaven. And, And in that place, we'll have new bodies. We'll be in a place that is perfect without sin and Satan. Death will not affect us. 
Bad things in the world like viruses won't affect us. But folks, heaven will not simply be a place where the bad of this world no longer happens. That's only half the picture. The other half of the picture is that all around us there will be glory. Perfect and complete glory. Now you know you and I see uh, glimpses of God's glory even now. We see somebody come to faith in Christ and we witness, we witness before our eyes their changed life. That's certainly a glimpse of glory. We see answers to our prayers. That's a glimpse of glory. We wake up every day and and see God's provision. We get to the end of the day and look back on that day and see how God has so graciously and generously provided for us. That's a glimpse of God's glory. We witness God's glory in so many ways. But all of these ways for now are incomplete. Folks, imagine a day when we are with the Lord forevermore. There's no evil, there's no sin, no suffering, no Satan. Instead, all there is to behold is glory. Constant, unabated glory. A glory that is not diminished in any way or dampened in any way. So what Paul is saying is that nothing bad that we go through now can even begin to compare with the good that we're going to see then when God's glory is revealed to his children. When he uses the phrase not to be compared with, it's a translation of a word that has to do with the weight of something. The idea, let let me put it in terms like this, the idea is of putting items on a scale. And you're weighing those items. Think of one of those old-fashioned scales where on each side you would put a weight. And, of course, one side would outweigh the other, so it would drop down and and the other side would, would, would lift up. That's what Paul, that's the idea that he's doing. He's weighing present suffering with future glory. And and he's saying this present suffering cannot even begin to compare with this. The, The glory that awaits us is so much weightier, so much uh, more profound that this cannot even compare with that. I I want you to remember Paul had seen a glimpse of that future glory. In 2 Corinthians 12, he speaks of a man being caught up to the third heaven. Most people think he's given an autobiographical statement there. He's speaking of himself. And so he had seen a glimpse of that glory. And as I just read out of 2 Corinthians uh, 11, Paul experienced present suffering. So he'd he'd seen both and experienced both. And he weighs them both on the scale. And he says there is no comparison. In light of the future glory that is to come, it's, it's like the present suffering is light as a feather. 
He's not trying to diminish the trials, hardships we go through now. He's just simply saying, compared to what God has waiting for his children, what we go through now, there is no comparison. It's like childbirth. He uses that analogy here. All of the pains uh, of suffering now, he says, are like childbirth. The pain in childbirth is a necessary part of the labor, and God has a purpose in that. But the pain of labor doesn't go on endlessly. The suffering doesn't go on endlessly. At the end of the labor, there is a beautiful baby to hold. And you know, in that moment, when, when that mother is holding that beautiful baby, she's focused on that child. She's not even remembering the labor pains. That's the way this world and heaven will be. The good then is going to be so good, so unimaginably good, it will erase all of the memory of the bad now. And so he's saying that the Christian doesn't need to get too discouraged when he looks at the world. Yes, there's bad, and God told us they would be bad. In fact, God even tells us it's going to get worse before the end. But as believers, we have a steadfast hope to anticipate. Now, until then, there's groaning. I want you to notice all the groaning that's going on in this passage. Uh, the creation groans. We groan. The Holy Spirit utters intercessions with groans too deep for, for words. Let's, let's go back and look at these one at a time. Creation groans. It waits in anticipation because creation itself will be liberated one day from its current bondage. Paul says, we groan. In our present suffering, characterized by groaning, though, we're not alone. You know, when I think of people groaning, there's an image that always comes to my mind, a powerful image. In my first church out of seminary, we had a beautiful elderly lady in our congregation, a sweet lady. She was, she was homebound. In fact, she was not only homebound, she was bound to her bed. She lived with her daughter and son-in-law. Uh, she was way up in age, and I bet Stella probably didn't weigh more than 80 or 90 pounds. She was extremely frail. Stella's bones were so brittle that when she would turn over in the bed, I'm not, even, I'm not even talking about getting up. I'm talking about rolling over in bed. Her bones would crack. They would fracture. She was in constant pain. Here she was surrounded by so much love in her family. They had a beautiful home, beautiful setting, so much love, so much beauty all around. But she was confined to a bed and in constant pain. Now, folks, I know that's, that's an illustration which goes to the extreme side, but it's the sort of image that I get when I think of, of somebody groaning in a fallen world. There's beauty around, but at the same time, we're broken. That woman's with the Lord now. 
all of her brokenness is gone. Those days of laying in the bed can, cannot even register on a meter compared to what she sees now. And Paul is saying here, that's the future hope that every single one of us have to look forward to. Now, secondly, this morning, I want you to see from verses 26 and 27, he says that we have a present helper to God. He says we're weak, human beings, by our very nature, we're weak. And that weakness is seen in the fact that we don't even know how to pray oftentimes. We don't see the beginning from the end the way God does. We don't see the future. And because we don't see the future, we don't even see what's going to happen this afternoon. We don't know oftentimes how to pray. We have something going on in our lives, and we pray about it, but we think about different things that could happen, and we're not even sure we're praying in the right way. You know, if we could see the way the situation was going to turn out, maybe we would be praying in a different way. Folks, that's how weak we are. Paul is saying, we don't even know how to pray. Think of this. Man is at his greatest. Man stands at his tallest when he is on his knees praying. But when man's on his knees praying, he's, he's still weak because he doesn't even know how exactly to pray. It's as though Paul might be anticipating uh, how somebody is beginning to question, Paul, you talk about this hope, it seems so distant, I need some assurances right now. Do I have to wait to heaven in the future to experience anything good? Does God have a word for me right now? And Paul says, yes, there's a word for you right now, a word of hope. Because in your weakness right now, you have a helper, the Holy Spirit. Jesus had said in John 16, I will not leave you as orphans. In our weakness that we see again, even in prayer, Paul points out here that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And he does so according to the will of God. In the difficult moments of life like this, we need to understand there's help for today. There's not only hope for the future, there's help for today. We're not alone. This doesn't mean he's going to fix everything right now. Again, he's going to do that one day. But that's not always his purpose right now. God had reasons, for example, Paul's thorn in the flesh, why God wanted that thorn to stay. For now, even though God may not always fix your mess or your suffering or your hurt, he is there for you. You are not alone. You're not alone in the greatest trials and points of suffering in your life. You're not alone when you stand at the graveside of a loved one, when you stand at the side of a hospital bed, when you experience a job loss, you're not alone. We're never alone. God is there. God is with you. He's the source of our future hope, 
but he's also the source of our present help. The word help in verse 26 is interesting. The only other place it take, uh, the only other place we see it in the New Testament is in that story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. It's that scene where Martha, uh, where Mary is seated at the feet of Jesus and she's listening to him and Martha is scurrying about trying to get a meal ready. And she's frustrated because her sister is not helping her. And finally, Martha rushes into the room and says, Lord, do you not care? Tell my sister to help me. The help that she wanted from Mary was help making the biscuits, carving the lamb. Very practical kind of help. Everyday practical help. And Paul is saying here, that's what the Holy Spirit does for you and me. He gives us the practical, everyday kind of help that you and I need the most. His very name that Jesus gave him in John chapter 16 is the one who is the the comforter, the paraclete, the one who is called alongside of you to help you and to strengthen you. And in that help, what Paul is concentrating on here is the fact that he prays for you. You're weak. You don't know how you ought to be praying. I don't know how I ought to be praying. But in moments like that, we have the Holy Spirit who's making intercession for us. And notice what Paul says about him. He perfectly knows God's heart and God's will because after all, he's he's the Spirit of God. He's the third uh, member of the Trinity. He perfectly knows God's heart and God's will. He perfectly knows you. God created you. He knows all things. He's omniscient. And so he prays for you according to the will of God. So here he is. He perfectly knows God's heart and will, perfectly knows your need, and as he intercedes for you, he's able to bring those two things together in the most perfect way possible. That ought to be comforting to the believer. He knows exactly how to come alongside of you and help you. In your present suffering, he's there. You see, folks, salvation is not just for the future. Yes, God gives us eternal life. But that eternal life that he gives us begins the moment we come to Christ and we're saved. Not only does he give us eternal life, but he gives us an abundant life right now. Right in the midst of our valleys, he's there to begin his work of comfort and transformation. Again, I want to emphasize, there's hope for tomorrow, yes, but there's also help for today. You have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, you have an intercessor, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is also our high priest. The Lord gets right in the middle 
of your tough times. He gets right in the middle of your struggles. He gets right in the middle of your groaning. And he's able to carry out petitions before the Father and present those petitions in a way that is perfect. Third, third and last thing I want you to see. From verses 28 to 30, we have a calm assurance in which to rest. Notice what he says in ver- beginning in verse 28. We're predestined for glory. God, God works for our good in the midst of trials. God's not absent. God's at work in the midst of suffering and trials to bring about good. There's three classic examples in the Bible of God bringing about good through suffering. There's the case of Joseph in the book of Genesis. I've covered that recently. I won't go through that again. But you remember Joseph said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God worked for good. There was also what Jeremiah 29.11 said about the Babylonian exile. God said uh, to the people of Judah, I know the plans that I have for you, plans for good and not for evil. Yes, you're going to go through that uh, exile and it's going to be hard, but I know my plans for you. And then, of course, there's the cross. On one level, think of the cross. The hostility and rebellion of men against God, nailing Jesus to the cross. But God's good plan through that, God was using that to reconcile us to himself and to present the perfect sin sacrifice. So three classic examples we have in the Bible of God using bad circumstances to bring about good. And Paul is saying God does that in our lives right now. He says we know that in all things God works for the good. Remember he's just been talking about groaning. He's just been talking about suffering. But he's saying God is using all of this to bring about good in the lives of his children. He goes on to define what that good is. It's to conform us to the image of his son. His son suffered. There was a point to his suffering. It was for our redemption. There's a point to our suffering. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then God's purposes in us will one day be completed when we are glorified. Paul is saying God God will do all of this in the life of believers. He will perform his greater purposes in you. If he has chosen to move on your heart and to call you to himself and you've been justified, then just as surely one day you will be glorified in his presence. There is nothing in this world that can prevent that. No one can throw a monkey wrench into God's plan. The one, the one who justified you will indeed glorify you. Look again at verse 28. Verse 28 assures us that God can and will use even bad things in a Christian's life to accomplish his good plan in us. This verse says Uh, And we know. I want you to notice Paul doesn't say we feel. 
We, we, we feel like this is going to take place. You know, if you're in a valley, if you're going through a tough time, you may not feel like good's going to come out of it. But it's a conviction that you and I can have based on the sure promises of God. And that promise is, God is saying here, all things will work together for good. Folks, let me encourage you to not pull out one or two bad things in your life and grow bitter over those one or two things. Look at everything in your life. Everything together God is using to bring about good and to conform you to the image of his son. You see, he's actively at work in you every single day, even through bad circumstances. Jesus in John 5 said, my father is working and I am working. God is not passive. Now, who is this promise for? Verse 28 says, Verse 28 and 29 says it is for the good of those who love him. This is a promise for Christians. God knows who his children are. Let me give a couple of illustrations of this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19, Paul is telling Timothy not to be like a gentleman by the name of Hymenaeus and another one by the name of Philetus, men who were false teachers. Paul said there, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. It's interesting what Paul is referencing here. You may remember the case in the Old Testament of Korah's rebellion against Moses. And God exonerated Moses and God opened the ground and he swallowed up Korah and all of those who were with Korah. God knew who was his and who wasn't. Again, God exonerated Moses and God brought judgment on Korah. And so Paul is referencing that situation there, that circumstance to Timothy, and he's assuring Timothy that just as God knew the difference then, God knows the difference now. God knows those who are his. And again, what's verse 28 say? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. Those who love him, those whom he knows. And again, I emphasize what the good is. This is not a promise of a prosperity gospel where you're always going to have everything you could ever desire. The good he's talking about is conforming you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Now folks, just step back and think about your life and circumstances for a moment. Just let it sink in what Paul is saying here. Everything you're going through right now, all of your circumstances, good and bad and everything in between, God is using all of that in a believer's life to make you more like Jesus. And then one day you will be glorified in his presence. What an awesome promise that we will be conformed to the image of Christ.
Let me give you some quick applications here. Number one, I want you to know that God has a plan. And God's plan is bigger than your plan or my plan. We can trust God. You know, God didn't need me at Genesis 1-1 when he created the universe. He didn't need me. He didn't need you. God's got this. God's got this. God's got a plan. Second, rather than complaining about circumstances, I want you to see how God is using it all for ultimate good. As I've said to you before in the past, what you hate most about your life might be the very thing that God is using the most. Thirdly, on an immediate scale, I want you to see some of what is happening through this lockdown that we're in. Let's see some of the good that's happening. Certainly a good thing I see happening. More churches than ever before are doing an online presence. And so you know what's going on? Through more churches, an online presence, the gospel is going probably more so than ever before to the ends of the earth. And you know, Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom must go to the ends of the earth before the end comes. With so many believers now doing Bible studies and messages and presenting the gospel online, the gospel is getting out probably in corners of the world that missionaries have not even been able to get to yet. And that's happening now. Another positive thing I see coming out of this bad. I don't know if your neighborhood is like mine, but when, when I look at my neighborhood roads, I see couples out walking. They're walking with their children and, and their animals. They're out enjoying family time together. Uh, families are outside together enjoying creation and enjoying one another's company. I'm seeing more people out and about than I ever have. So I think God is using this to draw families together like that. And a third thing about this, we're being told that more people than ever are open to the gospel. Lifeway, for example, has seen Bible sales go up 62%. Another Christian ministry has seen Bible sales go up 162%. Bibles are being produced like crazy right now because people are hungry for hope. They're hungry to know, does God have something to say to me right now through all of this? And more people than ever are turning to God's word. And remember what Isaiah 55 says, that God's word will never return unto him void. More people than ever are reading God's word and we're being told that more people than ever are coming to Christ through this. So you see how Romans 8.28 is happening on a very practical level to us now? Folks, if you're in Christ, this is a promise for you and your family. Let's pray together.
Father, I pray for that one who needs to come to Christ. You've been knocking on their heart's door. And Lord, I pray that they would surrender to you. That they would say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. And live your resurrected life through me. From this moment forward, be the Lord of my life. And transform my life. Lord, I pray for that one right now who is uh, very discouraged. Perhaps I'm speaking to somebody who's lost a job. Or even worse, they've lost a family member. Encourage that person that you're still in control and you're using all circumstances of life to bring about good. And Lord, I confess, we don't always feel that. But I thank you that we're not to be guided by our feelings but instead by your promises. Lord, lead your people in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you.